Persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus, Herod was the one who had John the Baptist arrested and bound in prison on account of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, whom he had married. John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Herodias harbored a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but was unable to do so. Herod feared John, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man, and so kept him in custody. When he heard him speak, he was very much perplexed, and he liked to listen to him. She had an opportunity one day when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers, his military officers, and the leading men of Galilee. Herodias' own daughter came in and performed a dance that delighted Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, Ask of me whatever you wish, and I will grant it to you. He even swore many things to her. I will grant you whatever you ask of me, even to the half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask for? And she replied, The head of John the Baptist. The girl hurried back to the king's presence and made her request, I want you to give me at once on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was deeply distressed, but because of his oaths and the guests, he did not wish to break his word to her, so he promptly dispatched an executioner with orders to bring back the head. He went, off, he went off and beheaded him in the prison, and he brought in the head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl in turn gave it to her mother. And when the disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. I have a somewhat natural contrarian streak. My inner 12-year-old boy has me poke people at times, sometimes just to show that I can poke. And one expression of that actually has to do with John the Baptist. Um, I have a very real devotion to St. Joseph, but it is true that in the last hundred years or so, uh, St. Joseph has come to occupy a position in the life of the church that for most of its history, has been occupied by St. John the Baptist. One of the most obvious features of this is in our architecture. So for most of the church's history, most churches were aligned in such a way that this statue would be more or less where it is, but that that one would not be St. Joseph. That would be John the Baptist. Now, baptistries, the place where baptisms happen, right, historically are located by the door. And the reason for that is because baptism is the doorway to the sacrament. So those of you that are older can remember when most churches had the baptistry in the back. Baptisms were almost exclusively private affairs at that point, and so there was no need to kind of have things visible up front. 
But I had us leave the baptismal font up here on purpose this week, even though the last baptism was Sunday afternoon, just so that we could see this. And remember, John uh, occupies a space in our sanctuary, whether we can see him or not. In the Eastern churches, uh, which are generally more conservative, not like in a political sense, but like they change less than we're prone to, um, this is still how things are arranged. So the icons at the, front of the, at, at the front of the church always have Mary on this side and John on the other, Jesus in the middle, and then the patrons on either side of that, trying to show sort of order, hierarchy, uh, prominence in the life of the local church. The reason I'm raising this is because I get the sense, especially with little ones, they don't quite understand what John's role is in this story. Like, it's hard to understand what exactly he's doing. But this guy was so prominent, so important a character in the life of the early church that there is still today in the Holy Land a whole separate religion that treats John the Baptist as the Messiah and not Jesus. So if you go to what was then Samaria, there, there is a religious group it's only a few hundred thousand people, but they're still there, and they've been there consistently the whole time, who rejected Jesus as the Messiah, but held on to John. And in fact, they're the ones that had the body for the early part of his history. They're the ones, presumably, that are being referenced here in the very last verse of this gospel. His disciples returned and recovered the body and buried it in another place. The reason this is important is because we insist on the historicity of the gospels. These aren't fairy tales or the half-baked recollections of people 30, 40, 50 years after the events took place. These are living traditions that the people alive when the Gospels were written down still remembered, and they were the stories that they kept telling each other and told so consistently um, and so, so with such remarkable detail that they pass on real truths, real historical events that took place. And this is one of the key evidences of this. This encounter with Herod really happened. We know about it because other people wrote about it, and we know about it because the other people involved in the story went on to do other stuff. Why then is that important in the life of Jesus? If John came to prepare the way to get the people, and especially those first disciples, most of whom were originally disciples of John, who came to know Jesus and so gave their lives over to him, why then should they, uh, what's his his role here? Why shouldn't he just sort of disappear? It's the reason that the church keeps John's uh, birthday and death day, right? So he celebrated his birthday back in June. Only three people the whole history of the church, get both their birthday and their death day recognized. Jesus, Mary, and John. And the reason John's birthday is celebrated when and where it is is not because we're trying to recover the exact historical day on which St. Elizabeth brought the baby to birth, but because it's attached to the solstice, to the regular changing of the seasons. I must decrease, John tells us, once he's publicly recognized who Jesus is, so that he may increase. And so, literally, the Son 
as it rises and falls, increases and decreases, gets associated with the ministry of the Baptist. But that should pose a very important question for us. Have I decreased enough lately? Have I made room, space, in my own life for Jesus to have pride of place and PJ to take second, third, or seventh? Have I given Jesus the primary role in my life and then have the other people who do matter and should matter to me, my spouse, my kids, my parents, my near relatives or close friends, have them in proper order? The church talks about an order of love, the order of charity, and they really do mean an order of priority. Sometimes I have to say this out loud because people uh, will feel guilty about this, but like, you are supposed to love your people more than other people. Like, by design, you're supposed to love your people more than other people. So, like, you're supposed to love your kids more than the neighbor kids. You're supposed to be more naturally protective of your kids than the neighbor kids. You should also care about the neighbor kids and be as reasonably protective of them as you can. But you have responsibility for them, and somebody else has responsibility for the others. And the reason this is important is because this is how we human beings learn. So we learn to love by those people that are closest to us, and when love is working properly, then that experience of loving those closest to us doesn't cut us off, doesn't make us parochial or or, or inward-looking. It actually opens us up so that by loving those closest to me, it becomes more possible to love those further away. I can love, at least in a theoretical sense, the children starving in Africa or the people experiencing the storms down south precisely because I love my spouse, my kids, my friends, and my family, not in spite of it. And John is the first and best example here. He loved, of course, his mother and father, Elizabeth and Zechariah. He loved the relatives that he would have shared with our Lord. He loved the men who were first his disciples, whom he then had to let go so that they could follow the one whom he pointed to and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And most of all, he had to love Jesus first and best in order for all of those other loves to fall into place. This is not really a story about Herod or Herodias or Salome, the girl. It is the story of John. And though he dies, he winds up the hero of the story because he was faithful where Herod was faithless. He was brave where Herod was cowardly. He was sincere and forthright, where Herodias and Salome were cunning and deceitful. He was a saint. And so, we pray by his intercession and example, one day we should be too.